to an increasingly compelling episode, Barry. Episode 209, Breaking KFA of Veteran and Barry, the three best friends that you didn't know you had. Barry, how long has it been since we talked to little Lucha Libre? Oh, I'm going to guess it's been a couple of months, right? Exactly. So we're going to be joined by our good friend, uh, Roy Lucier, uh, Mr. Lucha Libre, Mr. California Independent Wrestling. He is, we said after we talked to Roy, he is the, to what George Shire is to the AWA, Roy is to Lucha Libre, and Roy is to the independent scene in Southern California. Boy, you wind Roy up and he gets going and he can tell you stuff. He told us things about the the Villanos family that I never knew and Roy knew it without even being prompted. So our match of the week, Barry, we're going to the Wrestling Observer match of the year in the year 2000s. We're in the 2000s, Barry. We're talking Atlantis versus Villano 3, mask versus mask. And this is one hell of a match, Barry. Yeah, th- th- this is a this is an unbelievable match, and I remember watching this when it first took place and just being blown away. And Lucha does, I think, if we're looking at a strong point, I know that there's a lot of people who love or or don't love Lucha, and I can understand some of the criticisms. But the one thing that I think the Lucha promotions do so well is the setup of a storyline. This is not shit that is one and done within a week. There could be months or a year where they just build up these storylines and when the payoff comes these matches are always truly epic jeff yeah absolutely besides all that we're going to be talking a little seinfeld with our own mr rose here we've been discussing oh barry it's been a hot while since we did florida man or not always love to try to stump barry on those and i'm going to ask barry the question what is the worst beer that you've ever tasted barry so just wait for that and now Let's go to our interview and our discussion of the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year for the year 2000 with our friend Roy Lucier. So, Barry, it is time for our Match of the Week. And, oh, Barry, it has been a hot minute since we have been back to one of your favorite arenas for wrestling. It's Arena Mexico. I pronounced it correctly, I believe. It's been a while since we've been back there. And today, Barry, we are going, oh, we're in the 2000s, Barry, March 17th, 2000. By God, it is the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year for 2000 as Atlantis takes on Viano 3, Mask versus Match. And Barry, when I reached out to you and I said, this is the match I want to do, and we said, who could we possibly have come on to speak a little Lucha Libre, a little Mexican wrestling? And I said, should we reach out to, ha? no, not him. Uh, reach out to, uh, no, no, let's read out. Uh, let's just talk to Roy again. So we got our friend Roy Lucher on with us. Roy, a pleasure once again to have you with us. Hey, it's all, I love doing this show. So absolutely, thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for having me on. And uh, this is definitely one match that I uh, look forward to talking about. Okay, thank you so much. So before we get into this, we wanted Roy to come on because there apparently is a lot of historical context before this match ever took place vis-a-vis uh, the Lucha, Luchador is going to WCW. You had uh, CMLL and you had uh, UWA having some conflicts. So, Roy, leading up to this match in March of 2000, tell us some of the stuff that was going on in Lucha Libre at that point. Well, yeah, a lot of the WCW wrestlers' contracts have ended, which had meant a few of the Vianos, you know, one, four, and five. And Viano 3, I mean, he was not known for his WCW appearances. He made a couple, but not many. Uh, he stuck mostly in Mexico around the time. 
but as far as UWA goes, UWA ended in 94, but there was always that, like, if you saw one of the UWA stars on AAA or CMLL, they were always, like, the announcers would bring up that they were the luchadors from El Torreo. So him, Kinect, guys like that. Diana was probably the, the, the oldest, most respected, who was still an active wrestler who could perform at a high level. I mean, Kinect probably, what, mid-50s, late-50s at that point. So you really couldn't count him. So in 2000, the Autos were back to all together in CMLL. And they started programming for this mask match because you would see matches where Viano, Tercero, Viano 3, and Atlantis were on opposite teams. So they would start ripping each other's masks, masks and matches. So this had been building up for about a good nine months, a year, leading up to, to this match. Uh, they would do skits, and CML was doing these skits around the time where before matches and after matches, they would have skits where, like, Atlantis was out jogging in the morning, and he was, uh, the Vianos would jump out of a car and beat him up in the middle of a park. This actually exists. And, you know, tell, talk how they're going to ruin his life, take his mask, all that stuff. So that, lo and behold, you have uwa and viano tercero and then you have cmll and atlantis so that's going into the match that's how the announcers sold it as this was uwa versus cmll going into this match so if you have to compare the two promotions and since a lot of you know the the callback for a lot of fans in the united states is stuff like wcw versus WWE in Japan, you have New Japan versus All Japan at this point. Would that be a fair comparison with UWA Absolutely. versus Okay. You think Go of ahead. like when Goldberg came in you think of like when Goldberg came in kind of and, and you had the fans that were like even though Rock was a heel, uh they were like chanting for, for the Rock uh at, at his matches because they didn't like WCW. So it's similar to that where you actually had the UWA fans going to Arena Mexico that were cheering for Viano Tercero and the Vianos because they were pro UWA. So at this specific show, the by the way, the homenaje a dos leyendas, the honoring the two legends. So you had fans that would show up at the event and all the events with these two ahead of time that were cheering Viano because they were considered UWA fans. Okay, so let me ask you, as the match gets ready to start, we see one of the referees that gets tossed before the match starts. Tell the folks the background on that. Okay, so um, as many of you know in Lucha, there's two referees usually in the match. There's the Rudo ref and the the Technico ref. Uh, Like If if you watch AAA, the the Rudo ref is El Tirante, suspenders. So he's the bad guy ref, and then the good guy ref is Tropi Costas, the father of Negro Costas and Felino and, and Heavy Metal. Well, at this match, when it started, there only one referee was needed for this match because it was a one-fall match. And by the way, I do want to bring that up. Unlike normal Lucha, two out of three falls, they announced this match would be a one-fall to the finish, maybe because of Viano's age, or I'm not still sure of the exact reason, but unlike normal Lucha, this was a one-fall match. Match begins, the announcer announces that the referee for the match will be Baby Richard. And the fans just blew up. Atlantis and Wild De Jalisco a second blew up because they did not want him to have anything to do with this because leading up to the match, he had been very impartial against Atlantis. Had like, uh, for example, Viano had been claimed he had been fouled in matches. 
and uh, Baby Richards would say uh, would disqualify Atlantis and say that because of the foul that you know Viana won the match, even though the foul didn't happen. So going into the match, it was obvious Baby Richards was very impartial toward Atlantis. So that's what this is all about. A hell of a way to start it too. I mean, yeah. that, that, those guys just just light up because they know if he's referee, you're going to get an impartial match, impartial decision. And you right away, you know, Van, uh, Viano is going to uh, probably win the match. So this was a hell of a way to start it. And then all of a sudden the commission, you know, kind of catches wind of it and how the fans are reacting. Atlantis doesn't like it. So they send down um, El Hueto Rangel, the technical ref, uh, to be the impartial one and to go down and be the referee instead. Okay, so we're going to post a link in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with Boudreau and Barry, to this match. Before the match starts, you said that, that there were seconds. Tell the folks once again, yeah. who were the seconds for Atlantis and for Viano 3? Viano 3, the second was Scorpio Jr. He had been in UWA with him. His dad, Scorpio, was one of the old-timers from the 80s. Scorpio Jr. started wrestling in the late 80s, early 90s. Around this time, he was part of a group with Shocker, Bestia Sabahe, and Emilio Charles called Los Guapos which was kind of a rib, their name, Los Guapos means the handsome ones, and the group was a bunch of ugly guys who dyed their hair blonde that, you know, they're just trying to, to rib the, the boys with the name. But uh, Scorpio Jr. was the second for Viano three, and then for Atlantis, you had Ryle De Jalisco Jr., who had uh, pretty much been a CMLL regular since uh, mid-1993. Okay, so now, before we get back to Roy, Barry, you've had a chance to watch this match. Tell the folks what you thought about this match, the Observer Match of the Year for 2000. What do you think? Yeah, so the, you're putting me in a position following Roy. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck, It's like, you know, it, you come to me before you go to Roy, and then Roy can hammer it. I can't follow what he just said. I mean, my God. Guy is, uh, you know, the guy is a walking encyclopedia of Lucha. And, uh, you know, right. So anything I say is completely invalid at this point. Jeff, I, <laughs> that being said, I did love the match. And uh, I was really glad that you chose this match. I remember two, the year 2000 was a great year for me personally. It was shortly before my son was born. And I was trying to, knowing that when you have kids, you know, I was trying to cram in as much as I could prior to his birth. So I remember watching this match when it was taking place and it was fantastic. I mean, this match literally, the guys are great, but the, the way that the whole drama in the storyline, uh, it plays into what they're doing to me. That's what also set this apart. You know, this is great booking and then great execution by everybody. So big fan, Jeff. Yeah. I'm just, uh, Roy, I'm getting a mental picture now of, uh, Mrs. Rose going into labor and very <laughs> Uh, honey, hold off. We need to get the finish yes. of the match before you have the baby. Yes. Uh, so, I got Roy on the phone. Hold on. Exactly. exactly. Yes. So, One I, thing, uh, too, about the match is this was a pay-per-view. They, they, you remember, all, everything on, on TV in Mexico, the Friday night Arena, Mexic Arena Mexico shows, uh, always were taped on Friday, shown on Saturday or Sunday in Mexico and television in Los Angeles and throughout the United States. CMLL rolled the dice here and actually did a pay-per-view on this. And uh, Americans are lucky because pay-per-views do not normally do good in Mexico, and they still don't to this day. There was a one specific fan, and I know 
Fredo Esparza or Rob Viper would know the person's name, but he actually taped the show down in Mexico and got the tape into either Mike Tanay's hands, Dave Meltzer's hands, or someone that along that level, and uh, the tape made the circulation, and that's how so many fans saw it to the point where it was able to even be in the running for Observer Match of the Year. If it wasn't for this one fan tape in the pay-per-view, it wouldn't have even made the rounds. Well, I tell you, the thing that uh, appealed to me most, and and Roy, this is a a point that Barry and I uh, hit upon, it seems like every week when we have a match that we really enjoy, it's the crowd. The crowd for this match is so emotional, Barry. Good Lord, you literally see women at the end of the match crying over the finish of the match, yes. you know, and it makes it, it makes it so impactful. A couple moments in the match that were really good. Uh, they did a really creative way for both guys to get color where, uh, I believe it was Atlantis does the dive out of the ring gets caught with a head. No, it was Viano Creed. Okay. Viano I'm Creed. Sorry, he did you're correct. He, they, he does the dive. He did it, he, Go ahead. Yeah. He, okay. So four and a half minutes in Viano three does a dive outside the ring and they hit head to head. The Atlantis starts and uh, hits a gusher and just starts bleeding bad. But then you go on Viano three, who's outside the ring, and he's covered in blood too. So you're right; that was really creative where they hit head to head on the dive. You even saw the medical staff come out, and the announcers are talking about can this match even continue at this point because the medical staff is out there checking on both wrestlers. So similar, like um, what Foley getting thrown off the hell in the cell. You have medical staff out there, and the announcers really make you believe the match could be ending early because of how serious they need medical attention. Yeah, and it was a really well-done spot, very t- timed very well, and was very impactful. So, uh, yeah, this match, wow. I just uh, and, and also, the history behind the program and the history behind uh, the Villanos, I was telling Roy and Barry when I watched this match, uh, at the end of the match, which, spoiler alert, 21 years later, uh, one of the guys loses his mask, and that's Viano 3. And so the guy in the background that's un- un- untying his mask uh, in preparation for him to take the mask off, as I'm watching the match, I went, oh, wow, that guy looks just like Raymond Doza. And the reason this struck me was when I very first started reading uh, the quote-unquote after magazines in the early 70s, I remember they had, uh, whether it was somebody out in L.A. covering it or Bill After went out there, but they had photos of Ray Mendoza, who was at the time was uh, younger, and uh, Ray Mendoza was known for doing the surfboard. That was like his big finishing move. And every time, you know, I could watch AEW tonight, and if somebody did a surfboard, I would say, wow, that's the Ray Mendoza surfboard. That's how I knew the hold. So now that I've said that, Roy, Please explain the history behind Raymond Doza and his sons, the Villanos. Yeah. So Raymond Doza has five sons. Villanos, one, two, three, four, five. Two died at a very young age, and there's actually no video of them wrestling. One, three, four, and five. Oh, another thing, too. Raymond Doza wanted to make sure that all of his sons, if they decided not to become wrestlers, that they had to fall into a profession. So he wanted to make sure that they had something to fall onto. So, for example, Viano 5 is a dentist. Viano 4 is like a chiropractor. So they all have professions outside of wrestling that they do on the other days of the week. So um, Raymond Doza was there, the, you know, all of his sons and stuff. So he's in the ring, and he's the one who unmasked his son. 
you see his grandson, who currently wrestles as Viano Tercero Jr., as the little boy, he's like two, three years old, that Viano three lifts when the um, match ends also. Also, when the match ends, uh, Atlantis like puts Viano up on his shoulders. I mean, here they are in this blood feud, but you see the level of respect that they have for each other. And both the wrestlers knew once the match ended that the uh, they just had a classic, that they had one of the greatest lucha matches of all time. When I met Atlantis back in early 2016, he was with Octagon. I told Octagon, you know, the greatest live match I've ever seen is you and Art, Eddie, and uh, Santo in the mask match. And then I told Atlantis, you know, the greatest match of all time in lucha is you and the auto three is all very much of that's just uh, Mascara contra Mascara. He's very proud of that match. He knows that that is going to be a classic for fans to watch for decades on end that, you know, is going to live the death of time. Right, let, they right, just, let me... Yeah, let me ask you a couple of questions too, Roy. Uh, one question is you just said the word respect. So one of the things about Lucha, and especially I, I think when you talk about uh, CMMLL, it was based off of respect. There was such a tradition with Lucha Libre and respect of the mask, et cetera. Has that changed over the last few years? I, I think sometimes the company is too quick to pull the plug on, on mask wrestlers. I I sometimes look and I, I notice a guy without a mask. I, like, I, I wish sometimes they get built up a lot more. Uh, we're, it's just too quick nowadays, but I, I, I almost feel like that tradition is kind of lost. And you got to remember they're handcuffed too because you can't have blood anymore in Arena Mexico. They want to present itself uh. as family friendly. I forgot what year it was, but like, this is why like La Parca, LA Park, Wagner, and a few of the others won't do Arena Mexico anymore is because the building told them not to curse anymore and LA Park would get on the mic and curse out his opponent and get fired from the promotion. It's happened more than once. So they really try to present this family friendly environment that, you know, foreigners and people could take their families to. So a lot of the matches that we're used to here, this blood feud, you know, it will never happen again, at least in arena Mexico, you'll still see it in AAA, like Ijo de Fantasma, the guy who wrestles with Santo Escobar, lost his mask in AAA, and it was an absolute blood gore against uh, L.A. Park. And uh, AAA, if you're, if you're looking for the bloody mask matches, that's where you got to go because you won't see those in CMLL ever again unless it's away from Arena Mexico. So, Roy, let me ask you. Uh, Arena Mexico, obviously, in this match, you could see that the, the building was just packed. Oh. What, what, what does it hold, like, on a full house? I want to say, uh, oh, geez, I want to say 17,000. I was at the last show at Arena Mexico before the uh, pandemic hit, and um, that is a that is a big building. I think this show and also Rio de Jalisco versus Sin Caras, those are the two ones where they actually turned away fans that were uh, trying to get tickets. And um, I, I, I want to say, yeah, seventeen, fifteen to seventeen thousand, somewhere around there. One thing too is. Um, Michael Bocicelli, the owner of High Spots, he yes. actually flew down for this show and for Atlantis Viana Cero, and he said that the video doesn't know justice. Like you literally can feel the whole building shaking when uh, the finish happens. He said that's the loudest pop he's ever heard his entire life. Right. Let me let me ask you a question too. So you you having been there and I was there, I guess about three years ago. I don't know, Jeff, four years ago, five. I don't know what it's been. I and I loved it, and I got to say. Uh, 
of all the matches that I saw, one stood out. It was the former Mystico was on top. I forget what name he was going under, but uh, I actually enjoyed him a lot. But I liked being in the arena, and I liked being there because the fans were super passionate, and I liked the concessions that were being sold, very different from the U.S. What do you (laughs) like to get when you go there? There's that one beer with the chili around the tip. <laughs> that's really, that's so different. Like, so it's, it's inside of a cup and it's, it's for the most part, it's usually Budweiser, or Corona or something like that. But they put this like red chili paste around the lip of the drink. Nachos are good. That one beer is a standout to me. I start from there or... And like any of the little places like uh, Arena San Juan Pacitlan or uh, any of the other places, that, that's for the most part. That That's like the big thing there. So if, if you're not a beer drinker, I mean, I mean, there's other things too, like popcorn and nachos and things like that. But the beer is the big standout item when it comes to those shows. What would you say is the – are there heel fans or is it pretty much a, a oh, all-baby yeah. facer? No. Um, you're you're going to find those La Pora Ruta, the, the Ruta section pretty much anything in Mexico. That's where I actually got the idea for the 100% Rudos gimmick back in uh, 93 in Los Angeles was I used to watch these AAA events and you'd always see this heel section cheering on the bad guys and they would have this big bedsheet size sign that would say La Pora Ruda, 100%. So yeah, they're everywhere in Mexico. What's funny is similar to the, the backlash on John Cena in the mid-2000s in WWE asked whatever... Um, Mystico, you, there usually always be these like heel fans that would show up at Arena Mexico events and all over the place that would go there simply to boo Mystico because they saw him for the kids and the women, but not for the men. So it's a similar situation to that. All right. So now, Roy, I have the questions regarding Lucha that I'm going to spring on you unannounced. And I'm pretty sure knowing you and your passion for Lucha Libre, these are questions you've answered perhaps other places. But uh, by God, since this is a Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast, Barry, I know Roy's ready to answer <laughs> these questions. Roy, give me your top five. And I, before I do this, I'm going to eliminate you know, your El Santo and Mil Mascaris, the guys that most people that don't really know Mexican wrestling and Lucha Libre, that they probably would have heard of anyway. Give me your top five, your personal top five Lucha guys of all time. Negro Cos has to be in the top five, definitely. Pirata Morgan would have to be on there. Cian Caris from the Los Hermanos Dinamita would definitely have to be on that list. Super Astro, uh, it, it get a chance to see him. Like, I've seen him so many times live, and, you know, TV, there's some CLL with him in the early 90s that would probably do him the best justice. And on top of that, probably, let's go with Blue Panther in number five. Okay, now. Appreciate those thoughts. Number number next question number two. Who are your top five technicos of all time? Ooh, let's see. Mystico definitely has to be on there. Psycho Clown that would be would be number two. Uh, if you saw Psycho Clown nowadays and you saw what he is to the kids, like I I've been at events with him and he'll like when kids come up to a photo and autograph and stuff. He'll ask for, to speak to the parents and say, these are your parents. Please listen to them. Do your homework. Do good in life. And 
you know, he just, he's the Mexican John Cena and no one currently can touch him in the world. He's just amazing. Ah, let me think. Paraguayo as a, as a technico. Oh my God. Like the reactions he would get, you know, in Mexico, when you have like in order, the announcer announces like who's the most popular, like, you know, Santos usually the last one. Well, Paraguayo was so hot in the, in the early to mid nineties that he would even get announced after Ijo de Santos. So Paraguayo in there, Conan as a technico, I mean, his run in AAA in the 90s, just insane how great he was doing. And then Atlantis at number five. Okay, so next question. Give me your top five Rudos. Negrocost, definitely. Pirata Morgan as a Rudo, amazing the stuff that he would do. El Satanico, definitely on top of that list as well. The stuff that's Rudo he could do is amazing. Emilio Charles Jr. has to be on that list. And number five, Dr. Wagner Jr. Okay. So let me just ask you, because I, uh, like I got a lot of people that were reading Observer back in the early 90s, uh, two names that I remember specifically, and tell me where they would stand on either list. Uh, Number one, Jerry Estrada. Oh, you know what? He would definitely be higher on any list. I mean, he had his personal demons, like him in heavy metal. Like, where their demons, like, if they hadn't had them, they would have gotten the WCW and the, they'd be in bigger companies. They just unfortunately dealt with a lot of demons in their younger years, but they were amazing. Just incredible bump takers. They would make their uh, opponents look like a million dollars. Okay. What about uh, El Dandy? Dandy was a hell of a technician. Dandy was like, and the crazy thing about Dandy was, I think we covered this in the past. I think we did a thing on the Dandy Santo Casas uh, freeway match that pissed off Dandy to the point where he gave old AAA rival Conan a call and Conan got him into WCW. So, I mean, he, he was that much respected to where he was able to cross company lines because they were only taking AAA wrestlers and able to uh, bring in El Dandy. But the guy was so smooth in the ring as far as uh, putting moves on and making opponents look like a million dollars. So, yeah, yeah, definitely Dandy. Even even lately, uh, Dandy can still wrestle if needed to be. I mean, obviously not the same level, obviously, but the, the guy is amazing, and he can still go, go at it. Barry, once again, Roy is, we said he's the what George Shire is to the AWA, uh, AWA wrestling. Uh, he may exceed George. I mean, Ooh. Barry. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. No, but. Roy knew that one of the Vianos was a chiropractor and the other one was a dentist. No, he's right. That, that's that's the kind of level of knowledge that you don't you don't run across. So you know we boy, do, Roy, Jeff, uh, Jeff, you know what we do? We get we do. Roy and George on the show together and we pepper them with questions about the AWA in Mexico. Let them decide who comes out on top. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Roy, as always, my friend, a pleasure. We were a little delayed getting started today, and I do apologize for that. But It's cool. It's absolutely cool. I was at Mario Toys in Roseville uh, picking up a couple figures, and uh, they're having a big autograph signing with QT Marshall on October 10th, next Sunday. So if you live in Northern California and want to meet QT Marshall, there's your opportunity at Mario Toys in Roseville. And as I believe I said in a prior episode, Roy is a great follow on Twitter because he's always posting great uh, little video links and 
and photos. And he mentioned Rob Viper. Rob is also a great follow if you're into Lucha at all. So, Roy, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, Barry, I think it's well known that you and I both Seinfeld fans. Would that be correct, sir? Oh, you'd be 100% correct, Jeff. And check. And uh, Seinfeld, by the way, coming to Netflix, I believe, uh, if it's not there already, but going there very soon. So I saw these questions posted on Twitter. You get two choices for for each question, okay, Barry? And I'll, I'll, of course, will give you the two choices. All right. First one, best Frank Costanza episode, Serenity Now or Festivus? What you got? Oh, that is a tough one. I am going to say, and I do like both. I like the Serenity Now. I believe Lloyd Braun yes, of was course. featured in that episode. Selling the computers. Chalk up another one for me. Turns out he wasn't <laughs> doing anything. Exactly. And I, what I love about and Frank Costanza was so Why can't great. you be more like Lloyd Braun? But he has, he goes, I've got a secret weapon. It's my son, you. And he looks at George, and you could just see the disappointment in George's face. It's fucking gold. I like Festivus, though. I think Festivus falls into my top 10 Seinfeld episodes, so I would go with that. Okay. Next, best Elaine episode, the one with Elaine dancing at the party. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. Or Spare a Square. Oh, now. That was with I, uh, Jerry's girlfriend that was the... Uh, the, that the was uh, Jamie Gertz. Uh, yes, Jamie Gertz. Yeah, Jamie Gertz, and would not, and it wound up being the shoes, if I'm correct. Is uh, they right? Was, was that the one where she was a chef or something? Or am I a whole different episode? I'm in a whole different episode. Okay. You know what? You, so I like that. I that that was the one where Elaine had to give her shoes to a female chef. I think that was when they were doing the pilot. So I did get that confused. I am going to go with the little kicks which was Elaine dancing, but there were so many really amazing Elaine episodes, right? But I would go with that. I'm going to disagree. And I'm going to go what? spare a square. No, I don't have a, a square to spare. That just that whole dialogue back and forth. And then Elaine runs out with all the toilet paper uh, later. That was, yeah, that was great stuff. No. Are you sponge worthy? Exactly. All right. Next best Jerry episode. The pen that writes upside down or the puffy shirt. Oh, so the puffy shirt is, I think it's iconic, but I love the pen that writes upside down because you get Jack Klompus. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Jack Klompus. Yes. Absolutely. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It writes upside down. Go ahead. Take it. It's yours. And then the next (laughs) thing you know. So where's the new pen? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Love that episode. Oh, but then the astronauts take it up or something like that. That's the, the pin, the astronauts. They, they yeah. had to write in space. It was yeah. the talk of Boca del Vista or whatever yes. the fuck it was called. All, right? Are you telling me in all Boca <laughs> del Vista, there's not a house then? So, yep. oh God. Okay. Now next topic, Barry, I saw this one also, and I thought it was kind of interesting. I have a definite answer to this question. Barry Rose to you. What is, Barry Rose, the worst beer that you've ever tasted. On a personal level for me? Well, I'm not talking about the guy sitting next to you. Or Ozzy? Do you, all right. Jeez, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not a gigantic beer drinker, so most of it. I would say, I, I want to say I had a, uh, a Miller or an old Milwaukee in a can five years ago. Was it non-alcoholic old Milwaukee? As I recently posted a photo up in the group. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. You're, 
you're, you're lame enough to get old Milwaukee. So you have no right. money, but then you're going to get non-alcoholic old Milwaukee. Well, like what the hell? Like when you drink a good beer and, and certainly there's, that's going to be uh, an opinion, you know, there's a lot of variables to that, but you could drink a good beer, but when you get a, I guess a watered down, less than very good product in a can, it and it's not it's not even chilled at the proper temperature. Oh, it's horrific! It's disgusting. Yeah, I am gonna go Michelob Ultra, and right. uh, this will always be my answer because I harken back. I may have even mentioned this many, many, many episodes ago, uh, Barry. Now that we are on episode two hundred nine, but. I visited my brother in 1980. He was stationed uh, up in Fairbanks, Alaska in the Air Force. My mom and I flew up there. And while we were up there, I was given a Mick Ultra. And the thing is, when you're dealing with grocery merchandise that goes out to different military bases, especially ones that aren't in the, uh, you know, the, the, the United States, uh, the ordinary United States, I'm not talking Alaska, Hawaii, or something like that, but a lot of times the products have a tendency to have set in a warehouse somewhere. And in the case of this Mick Ultra, it is what they were calling a green beer. Are you familiar with that bear? Yes, I'm very familiar with that. Okay. So what I, what I meant was like all the various hops and uh, mixtures that go into making a beer had settled in the bottom of the, the bottle. Uh, Mr. Bowdrin here was not familiar with that process being at the time, eh, maybe like 19. Uh, I, uh, I drank the beer. And then later, uh, I was uh, having uh, what you call your severe stomach pains. And all I remember is, uh, let's just say there was a Barry Rose-like uh, Ethiopian incident ah. that uh, happened. Yes. Uh, and I believe I might have been in the shower at the time that it happened. Uh, and That's it was, a great uh, place to be, though. Let's. Yeah, thankfully, I was able to clean uh, the shower out. Uh, you know, I had the water going. But, uh, ooh, yeah. Question. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you, and I already know the answer, but I feel obligated, and then I'll explain this. You, you pee in the shower, correct? I do not. You, you do not? You do not urinate I, the shower I, you know, I am like George Costanza. I do not want to do that. You don't do that? You do, do you ever make salad in the shower? which was a great Kramer episode. Yeah, sure. So yeah. the reason I asked was I was with a group of people today. Uh, so I guess it was 48 hours ago. And it was a, I, there was one other male and there were four females. Now, first off, yes, sexual fantasies running wild as I'm sitting there. However, shout the, out to, to Zoe and uh, Zach, uh, by the way, if they're listening to this episode, listen to this episode. Sure. They've <laughs> dialed in deep to this episode. And, uh, one of the girls, one of the women, I should say, said that her ex used to pee in the shower. And the other three women said, really, that's gross. And I looked at the guy next to me and I said, I've been peeing in the shower since I was like probably longer than I can remember, 40, 50 years. He goes, I always pee in the shower. And it just struck me because I know that a lot of I, I don't know if women do. I, I guess I've never gotten that. We asked them. They said they don't do that. But I imagine some women probably pee in the shower, but I do think most guys. So what do you do? You pee just before you get in the shower? Uh, hmm. I guess I've never really given a lot of thought to this. I uh, huh? I just get out and use the uh, facilities provided by uh, by the plumber. You get out of the shower to pee and then get well, back. No, no, I mean, shower? I wait until I'm done with the friggin' shower. I don't so get you out and go back. <laughs> What I'm trying to understand. I so these have not gone to the point where, you know, I have to, okay. oh my God, I got to get out right now or else <laughs> I'm peeing in the shower. 
You well, know, because I, the hot the hot water in the shower obviously is going to, you know, it'll make you want to pee. So so on that note, do you generally most a lot of times pee the moment you get out of the shower and you're done showering? I no. Or I, I'll okay. if I feel uh, the urge of uh, nature coming on, I will pee before I get in the shower. Ah. That's a concept perhaps you're not familiar with no. as opposed to having to pee and then get in the shower. You know, so I, yeah, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. You can pee, but I smell a poll question coming for the group, by the way. Oh, uh, literally, literally a poll well, question. Right, you correct. can, uh, I don't mean to talk about a poll uh, when you're talking about peeing. Uh, you know. <laughs> talk about polls, okay. Yeah, your poll being activated. Yes. But, uh, so yeah, I think we have an answer to that question. So now next, Barry, I also noticed uh, on the old uh, social media the other day, Uh-oh. we recently celebrated an anniversary of a wrestling event that I want to look back with some uh, the benefit of hindsight, and you tell me because I have an opinion on this, Barry. It was the anniversary of Ronnie Garvin beating Ric Flair for the NWA title. Sure. Do you I, think, in retrospect, thirty-four years later, was it a good idea? Yes or no? Well, it wasn't a good idea. Maybe not. Was it the end of the world as some people made it out to be? Absolutely not really wasn't that big of a deal. Were there better options? Possibly. In hindsight, you understand what they were doing. Uh, Garvin was never going to be a long-term champion. I had no problem with it. A lot of people, I think part of the problem was Garvin had been positioned as kind of a upper-tiered mid-card wrestler. Not quite mid-card, but not main event, but close to it. You go back to Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin was a successful pro wrestler going back to like the the second half of the 60s. I mean, he was around forever. So to me, here was a guy that was a, a lifer. This, Garvin was, and all my understanding of Garvin was as carny as carny could be. Garvin was a professional wrestler through and through. This was an, a way to say, you know, Ronnie, you've had a nice career for the last 20-something years. We're going to put the strap on you. Sure, it's only this, that, and whatever. but. Look, Tommy Rich, we can sit here and go all day. Guys like Tommy Rich, super over in Georgia, never designed to be a long-term champion. Giant Baba, also short-term champion. Jack Venino in Dominican Republic. I've never even seen the guy even work. I have no idea how good he is, but you get guys. and, And Garvin was always popular. There was always... With the hardcore fans, not as popular, but with fans in, in the arena, Garvin was a pretty popular guy. I don't really see an issue with it. Not a big deal to me. So here's the thing. I understand what you're saying. I don't have a, a problem with them uh, giving Ronnie Garvin uh, the respect that he had uh, no doubt earned yep. over, you know, let's say uh, 20 years at that point of uh, wrestling. Right. Uh, Ron Fuller has said on his show more than once, what a huge, huge deal that Ron Garvin was to his promotion in Knoxville. Uh, yep. Ron Garvin was a, uh, you know, a, a guy that in other promotions was uh, a real big deal. I think Ron Garvin was more of a real big deal. I'm going to say this politely, maybe smaller promotions. I don't know that Ron Garvin, especially at that point, was a guy that was a national act, you know, he had the, the hands of stone gimmick and then he'd do the foot stomp and all that kind of stuff. That was a guy to me that should have been positioned as what he was, which was the kick-ass baby face. You come in and, uh, you know, if there was a heel that needed a whooping and a beatdown, 
Yeah, but not your world champion, though. That was my complaint. And, and when I say this was my complaint, it's not like some hill I'm going to die on here, you know. But for instance, okay, at the time, Barry Windham, if you're going to give a guy a short-term run with the strap and then have Flair beat him at Starcade, I think it would have established Barry Windham much more than it would have a guy that had already been in the business 20 years. Quite frankly, probably didn't need that. He had already been positioned and the way Dusty had booked him as being, you know, a big deal as the kick-ass babyface. I think that Barry Windham probably could have benefited from the rub that being the world champion that, you know, and the guy that defeated Ric Flair more than Ronnie Garvin. What do you think of that? Yeah, and not to interrupt you with that. It, well, and well, yes, you it, consider it. Uh, you better yeah, not ever how interrupt. How dare you? Barry Windham on paper is yes, is the correct answer. That is the that is what you should be. That that, that you're 100 percent correct with that. The difference was Barry Windham was paying for his sins that had occurred previously. Of course, and, that's correct. And there was no way, from a political standpoint, that Dusty was going to allow that belt to be put on Windham. Windham, as we know was uh he was flighty outside of professional wrestling and that you know he would be in a territory he would leave the same reason barry windham showed up in florida in 1986 which was a dying territory and windham at that stage wait, wait, wait a minute are you saying that in 1986 and 1987 that championship wrestling from florida wasn't a top flight promotion Am as much as it hurts me to because say, because I see certain people that we both know that say, "Oh yeah, CWF was great in 1986 and 87." <clears throat> Not well, so much. Do you want to give me a name? Or are we going to kayfabe that one? Um. Oh, spell it. Just spell it. How about that? A BVK. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll take him to task for that. So, in in essence, BVK, which is somebody that we know that shows up to fan fests. And great guy. Great guy. And uh, we always have stories about him at our fan fest. And I'm sure we can expect one in about six weeks. He started watching wrestling. I believe it was either 80 or 81. So it wasn't like he was there for the glory days of of the 1970s. So for him, and again, he was in a small town in Florida. So he wasn't in your Tampa, Jacksonville, Miami. He was in a really small town. And any wrestling taking place in that small town was a big deal. So in some ways, I'm almost envious because his scope of what he saw back then was very limited. So, of course, he liked it. But, you know, Jeff, you you watched it for years. 86 was a very tough year. Wyndham was, uh, you know, it was bizarre. Wyndham is this gigantic diamond amongst, uh, you know, cubic zirconia for the most part. It just... It didn't make any sense. And then he was gone and he went to Crockett when Dusty brought him up to Crockett. But at the same time, Dusty wasn't going to. I think this was punishment for everything that he'd done. And, you know, I I sit here and as I as I watch and as I listen to certain things and I think there's a new Dusty story for me, literally maybe twice a week. I get a new Dusty story where you just sit there and you go, my God, how did how did he get away with this? How did this happen? And, you know, and it did. And for every person that that will knock Dusty, there are others who will defend him that will say, without Dusty, I never would have gotten this great push in my career. But there's a lot of people out there, a lot of top talent that will tell you the opposite, that Dusty held them back. And a lot of it was this really this jealousy, which is bizarre. 
when you're well, and I think one of them will be uh, at our yes, uh, CWF will. Legends Fan Fest. Ricky Morton has uh, stated on the record more than once that uh, he felt like he should have got the world strap, and it was Dusty that was jealous of the Rock and Roll Express and however they were with the fans. Well, what was the date again on that uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest, Bear? Oh, that is uh, sure. That's taking place a on November. Transition smooth as possible like silk and velvet if they had a baby it is november the 6th of this year taking place in the beautiful suburb of tampa lutz florida we are at the marriott residence in north north point off the cold i don't know you'll Sun have to coast highway Suncoast uh, highway north point village i don't know it's but it's a marriott residence in in lutz it's going to be a great time too we are uh we have sold out of all of our ultra tickets for the first time in the history of the event. So I'm very excited. Got the Rock and Roll Express, as you just mentioned, baby. Ricky Morton going to do all the talking for Robert Gibson that day. But looking forward to that. You have the grappler. Len Denton will be there. Jerry Briscoe will be there. Barry Horowitz, Jack Hart will be there. Bugsy McGraw will be there. And I know that I'm forgetting. I believe you names. told me last night. Jerry Jarrett. Yes, Jerry Jarrett. But you told me yeah. last night exclusively that uh, a wrestler famous in Kevin Orcutt's Pacific Northwest will yes, be making an so appearance. We are so excited. We're actually adding three other talents, Jeff. We are adding the We are Cuban breaking kayfabe on this story, Barry. We are. You're hearing it here first, folks. We are adding the Cuban assassin as well as the saint and Top Gun from Portland will actually be at our Fan Fest. And only in Lutz could you get a Portland photo op of the grappler and Top Gun together. How exciting is that? We aim to please. So I encourage everyone to please check us out on Facebook. You can go to our Facebook group, which is the CWF Legends Fan Fest Facebook group. You can also go to Championship Wrestling from Florida Archives. We have a link there. Breaking Kayfabe, if you're not a member, then go look in the mirror and go, why aren't I a member of this great group? The most the fun you all have. All what the hell is wrong with these people? You will have a great time in our Facebook group, or you can just go right to Eventbrite, look at CWF Legends Fan Fest, and purchase a dozen tickets, hand them out to your neighbors. You know, they make great Christmas gifts, even though the event takes place a full month and a half before Christmas. Whatever, don't worry about details like that. Go and buy a whole bunch of these tickets, you know? And so, Barry, this uh, fine Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast doesn't run three hours this week. I will say that both Barry and I have spoken and that we both enjoyed the AEW show from the other night. Uh, a good uh, match to start the show, great match to finish the show. But Barry, what everyone is talking about, Barry, tell the folks what you thought about Arn Anderson's promo. It was shocking is what it was. So verbally, Arn hasn't lost a step. He's a little heavier. He's a little bigger. He's a little, a little slower. older. Apparently. A little older, but he's got this conviction when he delivers a promo that strikes you as being legit. And he took Cody the task, called him a loser, mentioned about uh, pulling out his Glock and killing somebody. And I, I believe he actually used the word kill, which I also find interesting. And I think MJF did that as well, or some, I know somebody else did it. So AEW continuing to push the boundaries. A little bit edgy. Very edgy, but it'll be interesting to see where they're going to go with this Cody and Arn thing. And my only concern with this, Jeff, is is this Arn trying to straighten Cody out and Cody will get straightened out and become a killer? 
which is not what I want. I want to see Cody uh, give a crossroads to Arn on the concrete and then do it to his kid. I want to see Cody become a full-out maniacal killer heel because I believe that's the only way he's going to be able to save his actual wrestling career at this stage. And I don't know if he's going to do that. I read today uh, somewhere an article that stated that Cody perhaps is, I don't want to say personally on the outs, but there seems to be a bit of a schism between him, the Bucks, and Kenny uh, vis-a-vis the front office and who's doing what, who's putting in the time and the work. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, when that line between uh, fantasy and reality is blurred, that always makes for great content. And, you know, that's part of what uh, Arn's promo was, the way that Arn, you know, the good Lord may have taken away his uh, ability to go in there and work a great match like he could in the late eighties, but he did not take away Arn's ability to cut a friggin' promo. Cause man, that was an amazing promo. And uh, I told Lou before the show started about it. And I said, this is a promo that five years from now, people are still going to be talking about Barry. Yeah. And they, and I think that they will. And it was something, I think that uh, it definitely put AEW on the radar for people that may not have been paying attention. Uh, I did read the same, Pardon me, too, as I'm over here burping. I read the same article as you did, Jeff, and there was a couple that were out there. Tony Khan has apparently pulled a lot of the responsibility of booking talent and angles from the VPs, which would be Kenny Omega, Cody, and the Bucks. With that, uh, Cody is apparently on, I don't know if it's on the outs, but he is separate than the Bucks and Omega, so he's kind of staying to himself. I did watch a little bit of uh, Roads to the Top or whatever that show was called. You're a better man than I. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, uh, it, it wasn't horrific. It was kind of cool to see what goes on back backstage, but I, you could see some of the issues. And look, we're not haters. We've said this before. This is not, but we will call it as we see it. I don't know if Brandy Rhodes... I just don't understand why she has a backstage position to be the brand marketing officer. Now, maybe her her qualifications have led her to this job, and I don't know that for a fact, but I don't think so. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she majored in this in college, but it's very weird to me, especially today when I, I took from watching that show. Did you happen to read what Kenny Omega's duty is in AEW as being a a VP, a VP exec, do you know what his duty and his functions are? Oh, wait a minute. I'm just going to point out. <laughs> he said duty. He did say uh, duty. He did say duty. Um, I did not see that part. What, uh, what oh, are his Kenny, Kenny's in charge of Kenny's in charge of gaming. And, and apparently he convinced Tony Khan with some video game. I don't know. I, I didn't. I, I got so bored after five, two seconds I was out. But he convinced Tony Khan with this video game. It's an AEW video game. And apparently it cost a lot of money. But that's Kenny Omega's responsibility, which just clearly told me, like, okay, so Kenny's in charge of gaming and Brandy is the chief brand marketing officer or some shit like that. Cody, from everything I get, is the only one that seems to be acting as a true VP that when he goes into meetings, he's in a suit and tie, he's professional, he has an agenda. Again, Cody gets a lot of shit and I think part of it is deserved at this point, but I will say maybe it's time maybe Cody steps out of the ring 
and he concentrates on being a VP because what I what I've gotten is it sounds like he's doing a decent job at that and he's being successful at that. But then you got to You know, his wife, again, she might be the greatest person on the face of the earth. She certainly is is pretty. But I, I just it, none of she shouldn't be in the ring. You and I have said this multiple times and you said it in our Facebook group uh, just within the last 24 hours. But I, I'm just hard pressed. She's the wife of a VP. What else? You know, this isn't, uh, you know, 1942 anymore. Uh, this nepotism shit's got to go out the window if you want to run a successful business. Just doesn't make any sense to me any longer. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a really good show. I, I enjoyed it. So, Barry, uh, just to wrap up this segment, I do want to remind the folks, since we we kind of alluded to it on the Facebook uh, page, you mentioned something about it. At the time this episode drops, it'll be Tuesday. And in two days, our uh, latest Patreon episode will come out and it will feature an interview that we did with Rockin' Robin, uh, who is, of course, the sister of Jake Roberts, uh, Sam Houston, and the daughter of Grizzly Smith and Wow, Barry, is this one frigging amazing interview, and she is such a brave and courageous woman. And why don't you just remind the good folks of what we're doing just for this one particular Patreon episode? Absolutely, too. And I got to tell you, we are four years into this, and this might be our proudest, my, my proudest moment of what this show is about, what this show has done. But we are, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, we obviously encourage you to do so. We are taking all of the proceeds for the month of October, meaning anybody that subscribes to our Patreon and during the month of October when this this interview airs and we are going to donate 100% of all the money to RAIN, which is R-A-I-N-N. It is Rape and Incest, Rape and Incest. National National Network. Network. Thank you. And uh, we are doing that because and, you know, there were so many people that came out and and were so thanking us. And in my head, I'm saying there's really not a reason to thank us. This is the right thing to do. And I think I think, you know, Jeff and I, we're always we want to be on the side of right, even if it's some, you know, what what's that great line from Lebowski? What makes a man a man? And then, you know, Lebowski says that in a pair of testicles. Right. But it's right. But the truth is, this is the right thing to do. And and we did have a, an emergency meeting between Jeff, myself and Sweet Lou last week. And we were 100 percent, not even a conversation even needed, that we were 100 percent in agreement that all proceeds, 100 percent of the money collected in the month of October for our Patreon is going to be donated to this amazing, amazing charity. So I am super, I am so proud to be involved with something like this. First off, this is, this is a big moment on a lot of levels. And I'm so proud of the people that immediately upon hearing that went in and subscribed. That $5 is not only going to give you amazing wrestling content, but you're really going to be helping people as well. And quite frankly, that's what it's all about, Jeff. And Barry, you should be proud for another reason. Why don't you tell the good folks where the idea for donating this money came from? Absolutely. Well, I, let me say, so I'm proud on two levels. One, let me give props to Sweet Lou, who, who actually brought forth 
the charity uh, because I was prepared to sit down and do some internet research. He told us about this charity. I looked online and it was like done. This completely falls. So I am, I'm extremely proud of Sweet Lou, but I'm really proud of my 17 year old daughter. She is an amazing, amazing human being on every level that every day she continues to surprise me and do things. And she said, I, I, I explained this to her the day before. And I said, we're doing this interview. I'm, I'm concerned for a couple of reasons. One, we usually, we, you know, we usually fuck around during our interviews. We joke, we goof off. This is a really serious subject. And I don't know how we're going to be able to approach this and do it the right way. And then I brought up the fact that I, I said, I, I don't know if I feel right in receiving any sort of money coming from this because this woman is going to share this horrific story. And my daughter, without even blinking, looks at me and says, you know what, maybe you should donate all that money to charity. And it was like, boom. I, again, we had a meeting between me, you and Lou. You guys didn't even let me even finish. Jeff, you didn't let me even finish. I was like, Jeff, I want to donate the money to charity. You were like, great idea. And that's, that's how quick it was. I spoke with Lou is the similar. So it's, I'm so proud of you guys. I'm proud of our, our Patreon listeners and our regular listeners who are rallying around this cause. It's only $5. This is a huge, impactful thing that you are doing. I encourage you, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us or just Google rain. And that's with two ends, because if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon where this money will be going, then you want to you want to check out Rain Jeff because it, that certainly will 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 push you into doing it. I think. Well, I can tell you that uh, you are a proud dad uh, for Zoe's involvement in this. I am a proud dad because I can tell you after uh, word of our uh, involvement in this charity got out, I received a text from my own daughter, the lovely Kelly, who said, "I am now a Patreon subscriber." And I reached out and I said, why did you decide to do it now? And she said, because of the fact that you guys are doing this for this charity. And I thought that was very nice of her. Uh, so thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, ladies, for helping us with this cause. So, Barry, let's do another Florida man or not story. You tell me where, if any place, this uh, this happened a man was arrested on several indecent exposure charges at various toll booth workers over a week's span. Police said in a statement, the man was booked into jail on Saturday. Spokesman Kim Montes said the investigation was conducted by uh, local police. All seven instances, seven times, Barry, happened on three days around 7 a.m. as the man entered the cash lanes of the toll plazas, toll workers. <laughs> told police the man had no clothes on and was, quote, showing his privates. <laughs> he, was identified through, he was identified through a, a photo comparison. So, Barry, was this like a Beulah ball breaker uh, photo lineup <laughs> or, or what? I'm not sure. So, Barry, Florida man or not? Oh, man. This is uh, this is a... This is Florida because this is exactly what somebody would do in the state of Florida when it comes to... Uh, whether it's uh, the Turnpike or any of the other paid roads that are out there, this is a Florida story. It's got to be. Osceola County, that means Florida, Bear. That means Disney yes. World. Kissimmee's what that <laughs> yes, means. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you got it, my man. Yep. 
Barry, I know there is nothing you like better than a top 10 list, but Ooh. a top 10 list that involves food. Ah. Is that a check? That's a massive check. Absolutely. A top 10 list that involves pizza. Oh, best segment a, ever. A top 10 list that involves best pizza toppings. Are you ready to go with this, my man? Oh, and you know what, Jeff? I already had in my head, I already had plans for dinner that did not include pizza with assorted toppings. I have a feeling after this segment, that's all going to change, though. Well, and, and uh, this brings up an interim before we get to the uh, the list here. Had for lunch today, Barry. Have oh. you ever had a chance to try what they call Detroit-style pizza? Oh, do I love Detroit-style pizza. If it's done right, I think that's as good as any type of pizza out there. Yes, I love you, it. You like a good side crust there? Oh, it's the best part, man. When that cheese gets all brown and it gets, yeah, and then the cheese, you get like a like a cheese lace almost of kind of burnt, melted cheese. Oh, my God, is that good? Well, I know what okay. I'm having for dinner now, Jeff. Okay. And just put that erection away, mister. I don't want to see your pink lipstick. Uh, So before, (laughs) as we do always, before we get to our actual top 10 pizza toppings, let's go with some of the other uh, vote getters, as they say. And uh, Barry, you just throw out whether or not you're a fan or no. Uh, Going all the way down at 25 meatballs. Do you like a meatball on your pizza? Generally, the answer is no, until I get the meatball pizza from Anthony's Coal Fired. And then I really like the meatballs, so... It, it probably depends on the restaurant and the pizza place. Okay. Uh, barbecue chicken? No, I'm out. No? Okay. I, uh, uh, what about uh, your uh, your greenies, uh, your veggies, uh, spinach? Nope. Out. Out? Okay. Uh, are you an anchovy guy? Out. Nope. Absolutely. So have you ever had anchovies, Jeff? I uh, I just look at it and go, nope, nope, nope. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's worse than you think. Jeez, 10 years ago, Zach said to me, Zach, who loves pizza as much as I do, said, why don't we try anchovy pizza? And I said, yeah, there's a chance. You know, it's salty, it's briny, it's got a little fish flavor. Could be a nice accompaniment. We get a slice of anchovy pizza, we each take a bite, and we're like, how does anybody eat this shit? It was horrific. Yes, not, not, a, not fan. a fan. Not a fan. No. So here's one uh, further up, those, a barbecue sauce. No. Okay, so here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I have tried uh, in the frozen food section, you get your California kitchen frozen pizza. California they, pizza kitchen, absolutely. Yeah, and they have one uh, that has a barbecue sauce on it that I've tried. And surprisingly, I didn't hate it. I, it didn't change my life. I haven't made that my go-to pizza. But as an alternative, eh, once, twice a year, I'm like, I could deal with this once or twice a year. Okay, so uh, well, here's Jeff, my Jeff, they're known for that. So California pizza kitchen, if you've never been to one of their freestanding restaurants, they are known for their barbecue chicken pizza, which comes, I believe, with uh, sliced red onion. So, yeah, it's it's good. My kids like it. My uh, my ex likes it. And a lot of people like it because it's obviously now it's in the frozen food aisle. To me, a pizza should a red sauce or white sauce, but never barbecue sauce. But, yeah, not a so fan. Here's one that kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, let's see tomatoes like isn't that kind of obvious uh, i mean you know we just talked about barbecue sauce on pizza but but like you said your basic but you know uh, uh pizza there yeah you're gonna have tomato sauce cheese and uh, maybe a couple of toppings or maybe just you know the tomato sauce and cheese. the fact that tomato is not even in the top 10 kind of skewers this list a little for me what do you think bear 
Yeah, and tomato is, I mean, you know, tomato sauce and tomatoes do have a different flavor. And, a, and I yeah. must say, you know, two, uh, two more up the list, we have tomato sauce. I just think that's kind of a given. You don't need to mention that as a topping. That's a so, weird uh, topping. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let's get to the top 10, Barry. All right. Mozzarella. Again, shouldn't I mean, this just be yes. a given? Absolutely. It's not a top. If I order a pizza, am I going to say, oh, yeah, make sure there's mozzarella on the exactly. pizza? What is that? Yeah, that's and, weird. And, you know, if you if you're not asking for uh, if it's not assume that tomato sauce and mozzarella is on there, you're asking for basically bread. You know, so uh, let's see number nine chicken. So you've already said, you're not a fan of chicken on the pizza. <sighs> not really. I mean, it's I I guess it might depend on what kind of chicken. But Zoe got a pizza, well, I'll say a month ago, and it was chicken bacon ranch. It was good. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't pizza to me, but it was good. But it just wasn't pizza. Hey, number eight, onions. Ah, and that's the tough one right there because I love onions. I just don't love them on pizzas. Yeah. So here, here's the story about onions. Uh, I am not a fan of onions. Okay. Uh, but, however, I do know that uh, a lot of things that uh, are staple of everyone's dinners and meals uh, have onions in them. You know, sometimes the onions are cooked down and stuff like that. Yes. So uh, it, it's kind of funny. The uh, Baldrin uh, wife number one, she who shall not be named, once told me uh, when I mentioned that I don't like onions uh, on anything, she goes, well, well, you know that uh, I used to make dinner and put onions uh, in it all the time, and you just never knew it. Oh! Got me on that one, Bear. Never wow. knew that I was having the onions. That's probably why we're divorced. That's Number it. seven, ham. Now, I love a good ham, Barry. I, I love ham at like uh, during the holidays and stuff like that. Nice honey baked ham, always a way to go. But on pizza, what do you think? Not on pizza. Number six, Barry, mushrooms. Are you a fan of mushrooms on pizza? So, you know what? Yeah, I am. It, but here's, the, here's the, the big difference. Am I a fan of the mushrooms that say come from Anthony's coal fired? I am because they're fresh cut mushrooms. In my opinion, Jeff, there is nothing that will screw any food item up as much as canned mushrooms. That slimy, tasteless canned mushroom can't stand it. Fresh mushrooms, 100%. Now, have you, uh, perhaps in the days of your youth, done the shrooms? Not no. on pizza. No, I never, I never, so... Here's a weird thing is, uh, and, and I'll speak pretty, pretty, uh, freely about this or pretty, pretty. Go ahead. or something, but, uh, no. So I've never taken true hallucinogens at any point. And I think in my younger days, I was afraid that I would think the guy that he, that we thought he was Superman and I'd go up to the top of the building and want to fly. So I never did it. And as I got older, I just, I guess the attractiveness of, uh, hallucinating, Wore off, so I have never taken shrooms, what, Jeff. I already, I feel I already know the answer. No, no. I, what I was going to ask you, yes, you do know the answer with me. Yeah. But uh, have you, in fact, speaking of hallucinogens, sure. ever seen the movie Altered States with William Hurt? Oh, absolutely, the, fantastic! The great hallucinogen movies of all time. Yeah, uh, where he goes into uh, what do they call a sensory uh, deprivation tank? Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you ever want to really just uh, get yourself really fucked up, that that's like one of those movies. That like uh, is a real head trip, you know. Needless to say, but but in a good way. So yeah. next on our list, Barry, at number five. Oh, this is a go-to sausage. I love a good sausage on a pizza. The Italian sausage. What do you think? 
Yeah, and again, it, I think a lot of times it's depending on where you're getting the quality of the sausage. But if it's coming from a the you know it's real Italian sausage and it's good, it can be fantastic on pizza. Absolutely. Okay, a little surprising here that sausage is at five. Number four, bacon. I, I got to put sausage before. I love bacon. Lord knows, but I got to put sausage before bacon on a pizza. What do you think? If we're talking about popular pizza toppings, I mean, bacon is really above sausage and mushrooms for that matter. I mean, I love bacon. I actually like bacon on pizza as well. But I mean, come on, it's, this is sausage. That's to me would be the second or, in my opinion, second or third most popular topping. I would I would have assumed. Okay, Barry, we've got to that point on the list. Uh oh, you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> At number three, Barry. Oh, it's an abomination before God Himself. Pineapple. <sighs> no, just 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 no. Where did this list come from, Jeff? Uh, this is from the uh, top10s.com. Top10s.com. Uh, and we've, boy, we have beaten to death the pineapple on pizza like no one's business. But no, absolutely we have not. Beaten that uh, until yeah. it uh, it climaxed, finished, and uh, said, "Please, God, please put the hand cream down." You know, it's just. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, pineapple does not belong on pizza. Now, if you want to put pineapple on pizza and be that person. That's some sort of freak of society that probably does not belong in our Facebook group. Then that's fine. But just don't submit me to it. Okay. So number two, again, Barry, this, this is a little bit silly. Cheese. Like, <laughs> really? Wait, wait, there's a differentiating between number well, 10. Well, you know, I, I, mean, I, I see on the different uh, food uh, network shows, you get your people that'll have, uh, uh, they, they, they roll out the, uh, the, the dough, and then they put something, you know, uh, let's put spinach and, uh, you know, Alfredo sauce on it. Uh, you know, no, that's not a pizza. Exactly. Not a pizza. I, I think uh, given the yeah. cheese belongs on pizza, Barry. But how, but I mean, how weak is your top 10 list? And I'm, I'm referring to the creator and the author of this list. Not me personally. Not, of course not. Not you, because you're just relaying this info. But how weak is your list if you've got a list mozzarella cheese at 10? And then cheese at number two, uh, just weak, just totally weak. Well, and pineapple at number three, but at number one. Well, we agree with that. It's pepperoni, of course. Yeah, of course. And uh, you know, as I mentioned, the Detroit style pizza that I had at lunch, it had some pepperoni on top. And, uh, you know, that's good. So let's talk, Barry, before we end this segment. All right. Your preference, is it for the, uh, hmm, the thicker not not Chicago style. Uh, you got your Chicago style, your New York style, your Detroit style. And I, and I think we may have talked about this once uh, a couple of years ago. But do you like the thin and crusty? Uh, what do you like as far as your 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 bread on the pizza, your dough? How do you like it done? I like a thin pizza. And I, I posted a photo last week. And I think it might have been. No, it was a slice that I got from Lorenzo and Son in Philly. It's that gigantic slice. It's $5, but it's the size really of maybe two to two and a half slices combined. It's a gigantic slice. And somebody commented and said, way too thin. Not for me. I like my pizza, unless we're talking Detroit or possibly Chicago style deep dish. But if we're talking regular pizza, Neapolitan, margarita, I want it as thin as possible. I don't want crispy. I just want it thin. I do find Anthony's is Anthony's to me, you know, it's really an almost perfect pizza in a lot of ways. I have mentioned before, but I like it uh, St. Louis style, very thin, almost like wafer thin. 
awesome. And they, they cut it into squares instead of yeah. a, like a slice. I really like that as a difference pair. I like that too. There was a place when I, uh, so we lived in New Jersey for about eight months. It was the period following 9-11 in New York. My wife uh, said we had to get out of the city and she was right. And we wound up uh, in a little town, South Orange, New Jersey, maybe 30 minutes by train. And there was a pizza place in this little town of South Orange that we were living in that would cut their pizza into squares. It was crispy. They would cut it into squares and they would top it with not just mozzarella, but your number two selection. They would put cheese on it. It was cheddar cheese. And while it wasn't a traditional pizza, whatever it was, was pretty damn good. So I do like that version. I have had the pizza slices where uh, they do have a, a small amount of the mozzarella, or as some people call it, the mozzarella, uh, but also with some Parmesan uh, oh. uh, dusting it. That's also a very tasty bear. Well, that, that brings up a question. So if, if we went to a pizza place, not an Anthony's, but we're just going to a local pizza shop, grabbing a couple of slices. Are you adding grated cheese and crushed red pepper or basil or oregano on your pizza? Good question. Good question. I am more likely to uh, to add the cheese if I'm getting like uh, some pasta, uh, your, your spaghetti, your uh, some kind of linguine, something like that. That's where I'll put the uh, yeah, dust it there, lady, with the uh, thing. Uh, but uh, no, other than that, I, I don't think so. Yeah, so I I do. Uh, I am a I do. I got to tell you, I absolutely love the grated cheese, whether it's Parmesan, Parmesan, Reggiano. There's a whole bunch of different versions. I put it on. Uh, I eat Caesar salads a couple of times per week. I eat pizza a couple really? of times per. Oh, yeah, so I eat pizza. A, what is a salad that you mentioned? Here? It's this leafy green vegetable. No, uh, I'm not familiar with that. Get tossed though, tossed in a high caloric. Wait, wait, wait you're saying you toss some salad? What? <laughs> I love cock. Five guys. <laughs> what was the name of the what was the name out. of the fine gentleman? But anyway, so. <laughs> lay him out. Bring it on. Bring it on. I Bring can I say yes. without hesitation that the last time <laughs> I had a Caesar salad berry, <clears throat> let me think. I'm gonna guess it was approximately 1997. And the wow. reason I know that is because. Uh, when I was uh, <clears throat> asked to leave the uh, domicile of uh, wife number two, uh, and I rented a room from someone uh, uh, for a couple of months, uh, it was a it was a lady that sort of knew somebody that I worked with, and uh, so when she found out it was my birthday, she made dinner for me. It was very nice of her, and she made a Caesar salad, and I was like, oh, uh, and I'm kind of like. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm compelled to have this salad since she made me birthday dinner. <laughs> so I had it. I enjoyed the croutons, uh, the uh, the leafy greens, uh, not as much, but I did eat them. I didn't get sick. I was proud of myself. But uh, yeah, that was my. Uh, it it, it must have been pretty memorable that I can recall. Jeez, what are we talking like? Uh, Twenty, 24 uh, almost twenty-four years, years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, you said something to me years ago too, and I. This is probably about four years ago, and I, I think we were sitting in. The Columbia restaurant in Ybor City in Tampa. And fine, had, fine restaurant, I will say. Mrs. Yeah, it really, Bowser really mentioned was it good. the other day, as a matter of fact. And we were sitting there, and we ordered, a few of us ordered the house salad, which is the Columbia special secret recipe for the dressing, the ingredients, this whole, this whole deal. And I remember you saying to me going, 
you know, I don't like salads, but isn't it really all about the dressing? And it was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to eat lettuce and go, oh, I love this. Like it's grass essentially. But you start putting some of these dressings on, like I like blue cheese dressing. You, you can fucking, you know, give me a wedge of lettuce covered in blue cheese and bacon bits and I'm in heaven. Nothing I really healthy about this. That Mrs. Bowdrin could uh, eat or drink uh, ranch dressing by the vatful. That is her. Uh, that is her go-to. Whatever way. Of, oh, can I get a side of ranch, please? Hey, you getting chicken wings? Uh, give me it with ranch. You getting salad? Give me it with ranch. That that is her go-to salad dressing. No question about it. Yeah, and that's actually that's Zoe's as well. I like a lot of the salad dressings. And getting back to what I was saying about the Caesar salad. I make my own Caesar salad in the house and I'll toss, I go through a, uh, I would say a pint of grated Parmesan and I get the good stuff. I go to the Italian market about 20 minutes away, a little pricey, but I don't use that craft shaker shit that apparently is like all wood chips to begin with. So nice. I, uh, yeah. So I go for the good stuff, but I go through that. I go through a pint every two weeks. So I'm, I'm a big into the grated Parmesan cheese act. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, that works on uh, your uh, slice of pizza, uh, pineapple, not so much. Barry, another jam-packed episode of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. Barry, do want to give a little shout-out here as we wrap the show up. Travis Wilson. Barry, ask me who Travis Wilson is. I, Jeff, who is Travis Wilson? Travis Wilson gave us a five-star positive review saying, what? quote, it is one of my go-to podcasts. So, Travis, I have read your review, my man. Round of applause with me, Barry. Absolutely. From the boys here, Breaking Kayfabe, we certainly appreciate it. And if you have not done so, or maybe if you haven't done so recently, hell, throw a second review in there. I don't care. Go to Breaking Kayfabe. Uh, leave a five-star review. It helps the old algorithm. I always like to use the word algorithm, Barry. So on behalf of our producer, they call him the sweet man, Luke Kippelman. Sometimes we call him scam likely. And my co-host, Barry Rose, up there in Plymouth meeting PA. I am your host, Jeff Bowdrin. They call me the booker. Sometimes they call me the booker. And I would remind you that Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Take it home, Luke.